<clears throat> this uh, Dharma talk is the second of three talks I'll be giving on nature and Zen. Um, if you missed the first part, uh, it's now available on our Auckland Zen Centre website as a podcast. And last time in part one, we looked at a few koans that center on the earth, uh, talked a bit about the, about the earth itself and about being earthed. Uh, we looked at Jao Zhou's cypress in the courtyard and another koan, Indra planting a blade of grass in the earth. And this time we'll be looking uh, at the four seasons and also uh, a koan on the seasons and one about a flower. So we'll jump straight in to our first koan, which is from the Blue Cliff Record, case 36. Changsa goes for a walk. One day, Changsa went for a walk in the mountains. When he returned to the monastery gate, the head monk said, Master, where have you been? Changsa said, I have come from walking in the mountains. The head monk asked, Where did you go? Changsa said, First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. Then I returned home, following the falling flowers. The head monk said, Hmm, you are full of spring, aren't you? Changsa said, It even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. The line in the koan, pursuing the fragrant grasses, following the falling leaves, were often quoted at a monk's funeral, and it basically means he led a full life. Changsa, uh, we haven't got his birth date, but he, he died in 868. So he's very much in the Tang Dynasty, the golden age of Zen in China. He was a disciple of Nanquan, Nansan in Japanese, and he was a contemporary of three great Chinese Zen teachers, Zhao Zhou, Linji, and Dongshan. He had the nickname Tiger Chen. Although he is known to have lived in the city of Changsha at Lushan Temple, he roamed China expounding the Dharma according to the situations he encountered. And here in Alcoan, we have him roaming about the mountains above his temple. So few, uh, one story about Changsha. One evening, he was enjoying the moonlight with Yangshan, another great teacher. And Yangshan said, Every, everyone has this one thing, but he does not know how to use it. Changsha said, perhaps I should use it. 
Yang Shan said, Try it. Instantly, Shang Sha jumped on Yang Shan and trampled, trampled him underfoot. Yang Shan cried out, Oh, you are like a fierce tiger. And that's how he got his nickname, Tiger Chen. One day, Master Chang Sha entered the hall and addressed the monks. If I give you some religious teachings, then there will be grass growing in the hall ten feet deep. Here grass is weeds, delusion. Here there will be grass growing in the hall ten feet deep. But this is something that can't be avoided. This is the role of a teacher. You have to teach. So he goes on. So I say to you that all worlds pervading the ten directions are the true monk's eye. All worlds pervading the ten directions are the true monk's body. All worlds pervading the ten directions is your own radiant brightness. All worlds in the ten direction are within your own radiant brightness. All throughout all worlds in the ten directions, there is not a being that is not you. There is not a being that is not you. Dogen commented on Chang Sha's teaching. He said, practice and enlightenment are often one form of radiant brightness. Grasses, trees, a mud fence, skin, flesh, bones and marrow are colours of radiant brightness. Smoke, mist, water, stones, sky, flying birds, the way of enlightenment. All these are the changing forms of radiant brightness. Dogen also writes, the radiant light allows the radiant light to respond. This is a, a wonderful teaching. The radiant light allows the radiant light to respond. To whatever degree we can through our zazen, if we can just empty out, become more empty, this is brightness. And this emptying out allows the brightness of the world to come in. It's a two-way process. The more we enter out, empty out, the more the world can come in. And this, the radiant light allows the radiant light to respond, is a rephrasing of a line in Dogen's Ginjo Koan, to forget the self is to be confirmed by the 10,000 things. In case 86 of the Blue Cliff Record, Yun Men said, everyone has his own light. And again and again, I'm struck by the wonderfully positive and life-affirming teachings of the, of the great Zen masters. 
they never cease to remind each of us that we're whole and complete, lacking nothing. Everyone has her own light. Yunmen then asked a question of his monks. What is everybody's light? He answered for them, the temple storeroom, the tower gateway. Just parts of the parts of a, a, a Zen monastery, the temple storeroom and the great gateway outside the temple, the tower gateway that all the monks would pass through every day. So everything is all a gleam and all a glow. The letterbox, the toaster, the kitchen bench, the bike rack. We shine a light on things and they in turn shine a light on us. Back to the koan. One day Changsha went for a walk in the mountains. My guess is that he was a fairly, um, fairly old at this point and in his old age he just, he just would take some time out and, and just go for a walk in the mountains above the temple. And when he returned, the head monk said, Master, where have you been? Being a head monk, this where have you been? It's not just making idle conversation. He's giving the old guy a prod, seeing what's his state of mind. And Changsa said, I have come from walking in the mountains. The head monk pressed him. Where did you go? Changsha said, First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. Then I returned home, following the falling flowers. The head monk said, Hmm, you are full of spring, aren't you? Sort of a little bit of criticism implied here. Uh, caught up in the sensual world, are you? Changsa will have none of that, and he just says, it even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. So spring, where life is burgeoning forth for Changsa, that's it. No need to think about winter the austerity of winter or autumn coming, just enjoying the spring. There's a Zen capping phrase that's similar. Though fallen leaves evoke sadness in a gentle shower, does it match the intimacy of yellow millet with the evening clouds? Again, the very rich painting, the yellow millet, and the, the evening clouds passing overhead. In, in the giving the reverse aesthetic, there's another Zen capping phrase, which goes like this. Roll up the curtain to view the snow. Shut the inner door against the brilliance of the flower. This is a autumnal winter view. Don't get caught up in colours and forms. Shut the inner door 
and just roll up the blinds and and view the pure white landscape of snow. This is a very strong part of Zen ascetics. The simplicity of a Zen altar, the dry temple gardens with their raped sand and arrangement of rocks. The emphasis is not on profusion, but on simplicity, on paring everything down to its essence. Snow covers the earth and everything is one dazzling whiteness. We have our own light and we travel through the brightness of the world, like Changsa, admiring the fragrant grasses and the falling flowers. Shuido, one of the compilers of the Blue Cliff Record, appreciates Changsa's response and adds a comment That's the spirit! And you can be sure that Changsa's appreciation of spring came out of his many years of Zazen and the many intense training periods he would have undergone through long winter months. Yamada Roshi, uh, a modern-day Zen teacher, the teacher of Aiken Roshi, gives this commentary on the koan. The warm, bright spring is better than the lonely autumn. In autumn, the drops of dew forming on the lotus leaves are cool without any warmth. It is quite refreshing. This is the state of consciousness in which there is neither feverish enthusiasm nor delusive thoughts. Autumn or winter are metaphors for this. What could be more tranquil? All feeling of warmth has disappeared even to the point of losing all human flavor. It is a world of enlightenment only. It must be a cool place, since there is no one to keep you company, no human warmth at all. Changsa is saying, that world of enlightenment is not bad, but it's better to have human warmth. The head monk with his, you are full of the spring, aren't you? implies that Changsa's answer is somehow tainted by his sensual enjoyment. He is trying to trap Changsa, but Changsa goes straight ahead and tells him that spring even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. We don't have to attach meaning to Changsa's words, just relish his state of mind expressed in these words. And when you work on this koan, you really have to um, enter Changsa's state of mind. And his spirit, Changsa's spirit, goes beyond all dualities, spring and autumn, impure and pure, tainted and untainted. I'll now go on and have a look at the, the four seasons which are so important in 
in, uh, in especially in the northern hemisphere, they're so distinct. Uh, the cycle of the seasons here in New Zealand and in the North Island in particular, we don't have a strongly defined autumn and spring. Sure, it's there, but uh, it's more of a, a gradual transition from winter through spring and into summer for the North Island, at, at least. I remember when I first went overseas, and I, I was 20, I got to, to London and I stayed for several weeks with a friend. Uh, it was probably late, late summer. And then I went to Europe and spent two or three months traveling, especially in, in the south of Italy. And then I came back to London again to stay with my friend for a little while. Um, and when I first um, stayed with him, he had a very luxurious back garden. But when I got back, it was um, late autumn, early winter, and I went out the back and I thought, what's happened? It looked like a bulldozer had <laughs> bulldozed everything away. Um, all the trees were bare and I never experienced anything like that before. And in fact, it was just winter. That was winter. Everything was paired right back. All the leaves were gone. Just the bare earth. However, uh, having spent 12 years at uh, the Watchester Zen Centre, uh, having experienced uh, the four seasons in upstate New York, I can really appreciate the long months of snow, the beautiful parade of spring flowers, uh, the warmth of summer, the intense warmth of summer in upstate New York, and then of course the, the beautiful changing of the colors of the trees in autumn. In 1986, at the start of his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, the Japanese novelist Yasunari Kawabata quoted a poem of Dogen's. This is quite something. He, he was the first Japanese, I think, to be awarded a Nobel Prize for Literature. So it was a, it was a truly uh, international audience. And he began with Dogen, probably introducing Dogen for the first time to such a large audience in the West. This is the poem he quoted by Dogen. In spring, the cherry blossoms. In summer, the cuckoo's song. In autumn, the moon shining. In winter, the frozen snow. How pure and clear are the seasons. He said that Dogen's simple words transmit the very essence of Japan transmit the very essence of Japan. It's right there in the seasons and in the, in the changing of the seasons. In Japan, haiku anthologies are arranged by season and classical haiku always contain a kigo, a word or phrase that denotes a particular season. Then there's Master Mumon's verse to Case 19 of the Mumon Khan. 
probably the, the yeah, my favorite verse in the, in the Mumon Khan. Hundreds of flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, and snow in winter. If your mind is not clouded with unnecessary things, this is your best season. If your mind is not clouded with unnecessary things, this is your best season. An unclouded mind is the mind of equanimity, accepting the changing seasons and being at home in the world. So with an unclouded mind, we can appreciate spring at the moment, just, um, just picking up on the profusion of, of life, the energies that are being released through flowers. Uh, our back garden is alive with bees, butterflies at the moment, sparrows are mating. So we do have in Auckland, we do have this, these very, very clear signals of spring. The days are getting warmer, uh, summer is on the horizon. 200 years before Dogen, at the height of the Heian period, it's about uh, 1000 AD, this is the flowering of Japanese culture. Sei Shonagon, a lady of the imperial court, wrote, In spring, it is the dawn that is most beautiful. As the light creeps over the hills, their outlines are dyed a faint red, and wisps of purplish clouds trail over them. In summer, the nights, not only when the moon shines, but on dark nights too, as the fireflies, as the fireflies flit to and fro, and even when it rains, how beautiful it is. In autumn, the evenings, when the glittering sun sinks close to the edge of the hills, and crows fly back to their nests in threes and fours. More charming still is a file of wild geese, like specks in the distant sky. When the sun has set, one's heart is moved by the sound of the wind and the hum of the insects. In winter, the early mornings, it is beautiful indeed when snow has fallen during the night, but splendid too when the ground is white with frost, or even when there is no snow or frost, but it is simply very cold, and attendants hurry from room to room, stirring up the fires and bringing charcoal. How well this fits the season's mood. So just um, take up two haiku by Busan, one of the great classic haiku writers. First one, a spring evening, lighting one candle with another candle. Spring evening, lighting one candle with another candle. 
This was in the 18th century, of course, no electricity. And it's a verse of transmission, of passing on the light. Robert Aiken comments, I will not be reborn in a different form, but I will pass on my light. Narach Blythe, a great early commentator and translator of haiku into English, notes, There is something passing from here to there, a glow, a steadiness in the warm dusk, and we feel it to be life itself, trembling and intangible, yet strong and apparent to all the senses. And another spring haiku by Busan. The tub I washed my feet in is beginning to leak. Spring also is passing. The tub I washed my feet in is beginning to leak. Spring also is passing. We pass on the light and we also experience the passing of time. Busan is washing his feet in an outside tub. Looking down, he sees that the water is leaking away through a hole in the tub. And all around him, the great wheel of the seasons turns, with spring departing and summer about to arrive. Then we have this playful haiku by Isa. From bathtub to bathtub, all stuff and nonsense. From bathtub to bathtub, all stuff and nonsense. As a newborn baby, we are washed and presented to our mother. Time passes, a lifetime passes, and when we die, our old body is washed and made ready for the funeral parlour. In between, Issa suggests, it's all stuff and nonsense. Let's look at one particular flower now, which is the chrysanthemum. In the haiku division of the seasons, chrysanthemums belong to autumn. They're admired for their coolness and their beauty. So haiku by Ryota. They spoke no word. The host, the guest, and the white chrysanthemum. They spoke no word. The host, the guest, and the white chrysanthemum. Host, guest, and chrysanthemum are all equal. There's no hierarchy in Buddhism between the human world and the natural world. We coexist with all life. And in this haiku, no words are needed. A cool fragrance pervades the room. When we are simply present with nature, quiet and attentive, the natural world reveals itself to us. And a haiku by Shiki. 
every year thinking of the chrysanthemums being thought of by them. Every year thinking of the chrysanthemums being thought of by them. R.H. Blythe comments, We remember things and they remember us. We wait for the flowers. They await our coming. And appreciating the chrysanthemums, we nod our head. And perhaps the chrysanthemums nod back. Next flower is the lotus. We had in our Quran, Changsa uh, refers to First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses, then I returned home following the falling flowers. You're full of spring, aren't you? It even surpasses the autumn dew tripping on the lotuses. And the lotus is the most esteemed flower in Buddhism. Buddhas and bodhisattvas often portrayed as sitting on lotus thrones. In fact, if you see our Zendo figure, the Buddha's doing zazen, sitting on a lotus. Followers of Pure Land Buddhism aspire to be reborn in the Western paradise, seated on a lotus. In this setting, they can attain enlightenment without being contaminated by the Saha world, our everyday world of defilements. But the lotus is born from the mud. It draws its strength from decay, rises above the surface of the water, and blossoms. That's why it's so admired, especially in Zen, because it, it comes out of the mud. It's not separate from the mud. Ta Neng, a Korean monk, says this, Delusion is the root of enlightenment. If someone uses this for their practice, it can become the means for transcending the world. The lotus doesn't grow in high places. It only blooms in muddy water. Delusions doesn't injure the enlightened mind. So too, smoke and clouds obscure the sun and moon without injuring them. If a jewel is dropped into the mud, neither is the jewel injured. Don't concern yourself with the clouds of delusion. Concentrate on the enlightened mind, your true mind. In 1951, a Japanese paleobotanist, Oga Ichiro, came upon some lotus seeds in a jar that had remained buried underground for 2,000 years. When he planted the seeds and watered them, they grew into magnificent lotus flowers. So after, after 2,000 years, the, jars, the seeds kept in the jar and still they blossomed. If you go online, there's a great picture of Oka Ichiro holding one of the, the lotus flowers that he grew from those seeds.
The most famous flower in Zen can be found in case six of the Mumonkan. The Buddha holds up a flower. And this is, the, this is our second koan for this talk. It goes like this. In ancient time, on Vulture Peak, the world-honored one held up a flower before the assembly of monks. At that moment, everyone in the assembly was silent except Mahakashapa, who broke into a smile. The world-honored one said, I have the all-pervading eye of the true Dharma, the sacred heart of incomparable Nirvana, the true aspect of formless form. It does not rely on letters and is transmitted outside of the scriptural teachings. I now hand it on to Mahakashapa, who became the second ancestor of Zen after the Buddha. Dogen in Kuge, Flowers of Emptiness, a fascicle of his Shobogenzo, compares the flower that the Buddha held up to, to the Udambara flower, the legendary flower which blossoms once in 3,000 years when the Tathagata, a Buddha, appears. But this flower that the Buddha held up is probably just an ordinary flower. Uh, it's probably a flower that one of his devotees left for him near his seat. And uh, today, if you travel in Buddhist countries, uh, say Thailand, uh, if you visit temples, you often pay a little, pay some money, a few bats, to, to buy some lotus flowers and a stick of incense that you offer at the altar. And then at the end, the flowers collected up and they get recycled. So it's probably an ordinary flower. However, by holding up the flower, as Aiken Roshi observes, the Buddha presented the assembly with something that is potent with the universe. This holding up the flower, something that's potent with the universe. And only Mahakashapa got it, and he smiled. This holding up of the flower is not found in any of the classic Buddhist sutras, but it arose uh, in Chinese Buddhist writings in the Song Dynasty. And it's brought forth a, a profusion of commentaries and verses in Zen circles ever since. Here's a, a verse commentary by Master Chi Qian. The world-honored one had a secret he wanted to share. Spring lingers on the ancient riverbank. Mahakashapa did not allow it to be hidden. Flowers cast themselves onto the flowing stream. Dogen, in his commentary Kuge, says, Shakyamuni Buddha holding up a flower without speaking, and Mahakashapa's smile was a communication from mind to mind. This is at the essence of the koan. It's a transmission from mind to mind. When the flower blooms, not just one petal blooms, but the entire flower. And when one flower blooms, simultaneously, countless flowers bloom. 
Universal emptiness blooms as a flower. Universal emptiness blooms as a flower. Roshi Keplo, our own uh, grandfather in the Dharma, founder of the Rochester Zen Center, this is his comment. There is no Buddha, no self, no Mahakashapa, just this flower that smiles, invoking a smile that flowers. Uh, a verse commentary by Japanese Zen master Shido Munan Zenji. While the moon and the flower are the same moon and the flower of old, when I see them, they become my moon and flower. Working on this koan, holding up the flower, has to become your flower, my flower. And Mahakashapa's smile has to become your smile. Guo Gu, a contemporary Chinese teacher in the Zen tradition, fairly young teacher, he does, has a very good book on um, the Mumon Khan. This is his commentary. Mahakashapa's smile wasn't an elated laugh, but a gentle smile. It is like the smile two lovers share across the room upon glancing at each other after having lived a lifetime together as a couple. In that moment, there is no need for words. A smile would do, for only they know the life they have shared, the challenges they have faced, and the sweetness of the union they have experienced. This was Mahakashapa's smile. Very intimate smile. And finally, another verse on this koan by an ancient Zen master. The night rain scatters the flowers. The castle is fragrant, surrounded by running waters. The night rain scatters the flowers. The castle is, fragment, is fragrant, surrounded by running waters. You can imagine this great fortified stone Japanese castle, but it's made fragrant by the profusion of flowers. Uh, a line came to me from a Talking Heads song. This was a shopping mall, now it's all covered with flowers. For those of you who know Talking Heads. Okay, so I'd like to go on now to mushrooms, <laughs> going from flowers to mushrooms, and we'll, we'll end with the humble mushroom. There's something very earthy and even humorous about the mushroom. In 1964, R.H. Blythe, the great haiku commentator, was asked to collect mushroom haiku 
to be published in an article a friend was writing on mushrooms and Japanese culture in Japanese. So I'll read four of the mushroom haiku that Blythe selected. First one by Keiko. Red mushrooms in his sleeve, the setting sun, as he come back from the hills. Red mushrooms in his sleeve, the setting sun, as he comes back from the hills. Next one by Uke. I forgot falling from the horse with the happiness of finding mushrooms. <laughs> I forgot falling from the horse with the happiness of finding mushrooms. Next one by Yayu. Mushroom hunting. Tall people are no good at it. Yes! <laughs> Mushroom hunting. Tall people are no good at it. You have to be close to the earth to find those mushrooms. And finally, an anonymous verse, anonymous haiku. On the mushroom broth, there floats a large mushroom. On the mushroom broth, there floats a large mushroom. That's a study in brown. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. <laughs>